So you're speaking of spirits, what's this uh, next frosty? All year? right, this hashtag Segway. This new one. It is uh, also masthead, and this is the uh, the this is the uh, the mango uh, sweet sweet heat sweet heat sweet, sweet heat. heat. And it is uh, brewed with fresh mango puree and habanero peppers. I told you to brace yourself. It's yeah, an ABV of 7.7. It's an imperial Ooh, fruit. Wow. Yeah, the habanero in there. Uh-huh. It's, uh huh. It's a little bit hazy, which, you know, it's got fruit in there, so it's going to be, but it's a nice light color. It almost looks like a, like a, like a, maybe a, a pale ale. Yeah. It has a wonderful Definitely fruity flavor. Fruit. It's warm. Very fruity. Mmm. Oh, that's so good. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. It, it has a very light taste to it. You do taste both the habanero and the mango at the same time. Um, but it's nice. Ooh, it's it's nice. nice. It's smooth. Um, it's a little bit warm, but it's not spicy. It's not that blow mm. your head off that the habanero... Re- get, you know. 7.7? Yeah. Where's the alcohol? All right. It's so smooth. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just gives you a little zing and... You feel the little bit of the heat, but it's not. Yeah, it's just kind of. It's not cruddy. that over like when you hit. If you ever bit a habanero, and you like, you almost like takes the breath out of you. See, mastheads, we found our alchemists. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's just the slightest bit of like a little bit of spiciness, but it's not overpowering. It's not like biting into jalapeno, right? Right. So. Yeah, it's like a black pepper or something. Yeah. 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 yeah there you go. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah, and it's sweet. and the sweetness too. You very sweet. Yeah, you definitely taste the mango. I think my wife could drink this actually. Yeah. yeah. Wait, wait. Let's let, let's let a lady try. Not that it's quality for everyone. Ready? Ready? <laughs> yeah, that's right. How's that taste, Kendra? Oh, thumbs up. Thumbs, thumbs up. up. Yeah, All right. See? We got All a right. lady's thumbs up. <laughs> awesome. All right. Going down into our next, we're, we're going to be going and shifting into A and E magic because we're going to touch on What's the Bible, uh, mm. ancient Near East. Oh, okay, yeah, of course. Okay, <laughs> 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 he, thought it, he thought it was a that movie to TV station. Not A and E. Yeah, let's rock and roll. I'm, All I'm right, so. Ancient Near Eastern cultures made no clear distinctions between magic and religion or magic and medicine. The idea of magic as a practice distinct from religion is modern, Western category. The Western concept of magic originated in the development of magic. Boo. So are we just, are we saying then, sorry, are we, are we saying then that, uh, like back then that we're not going to use magic in like a supernatural point of view that this could also be like medicine and things of that nature yeah so like in the ancient mind there was no separation of magic and medicine or or magic and religion it was all encompassing okay yeah no, I see what you're saying. I, I just feel like just if I'm going <laughs> to well, argue, I just feel like that's going to come back. Exa- that definition is going to come back to haunt me when I'm trying to argue or well, play for, devil's advocate against you guys. For example, take the Hippocratic Oath. Who is yeah. it to? It's to the gods. Yeah, of course. To not cause any harm. Um, the Western concept of magic originated in the development of magic, magia. 
in ancient Greek culture. However, most modern definitions of magic are dependent upon the rich tradition of the modern social scientific study of the subject. While the use of such modern categories can be helpful, it is vital to distinguish between modern concepts of magic and the ancient people's understanding of their own ritual traditions. Thus, the translation of the ancient Hebrew, kashef, as magic is far from an exact translation. Even in the case of ancient Greco-Roman society, the ancient concept of magia is not identical to modern concepts of magic. Since the early 20th century, the study of magic in the Bible has typically drawn heavily upon social scientific studies of the subject. Five primary social scientific approaches have influenced the study of magic in the Bible. One, class intellectualism. Two, sociological approach. Three, even Pritchard's functional model. Four, symbolic anthropology. And five, neo-intellectualism. We're not going to expand too much on that because, frankly, I don't care. So <laughs> it's, I was say, when you were reading off that list, I almost fell asleep. It's too much. It's okay. too much. We're not, we're not going to expand on those. Needless to say, there's five definitions of the A&E magic. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> These theories ultimately impose modern cognitive categories onto ancient cultures. Because of this, many people try to determine what magic meant solely from the ancient observer's perspective. Such approaches typically rely on the implicit use of common sense definitions of magic to first identify what ritual practices contribute to the reconstruction of the ancient observer's concepts of magic. However, even these definitions typically derive from modern social scientific understanding of magic. Therefore, both implicit and explicit definitions of magic are primarily modern Western categorizations of certain forms of ritual. So, right there, that's very interesting. Think about that. So, our idea of what magic is, is a Western construct. Right, okay. Of so, course, yeah. So, to them back then, I mean, there, there, were, there were, we create the separation, right? So, when you went to the doctor back then, for example... Um, that would be magic. Right, exactly. There was no separation. So he's using the herb, but there's a but there's a spiritual significance behind the herb he's using, as well as, as well as religious significance to the herb he's using. And to him, there's no separation between those three classes. Right. So we've degraded it here, then. <laughs> well, because you know, as soon as you say magic, I'm thinking David Copperfield, which I'm yeah. thinking not real illusions, mirrors, right. smoke. Yeah. And besides, what did he do after uh, after the whole uh, Statue of Liberty thing? Um, nothing. Did he make it disappear? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't even remember what he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Disappeared. Then he came back. Um, well, because he was part comedian, you know, great speaker. He was more than just an illusionist, right? Oh yeah. You yeah. know, he had that air of imposter to him, Casanova. You know, just a charmer, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely agreed. Probably, arguably, one of the best, you know, performers of the modern age. Now, I was kind of hoping, like, we would, uh, you know, dive into, and I don't know if we have time for this, but I was kind of hoping we'd Should dive into the Bible and look at, like, some um, examples of magic and supernatural 
Well, I'm glad you asked. No, hashtag <laughs> segues. <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes. So, diving into it. Uh, actually, I'm going to skip. I actually have a few definitions in here for magic. We're going to skip through those. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> and we're going to dive right down into the biblical relevance. Uh, ba, 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 ba. There we go. The most explicit representations of magic in the Hebrew Bible include the practices of foreigners and unfaithful Israelites, according to Deuteronomy 18:9 through 14. Magic and divination are associated with foreign nations and prohibited among the Israelites. Consequently, Israelites who practice magic or divination engaged in foreign customs that were unlawful for faithful Israelites. Now, that definition, I think, is not quite as accurate as we want it to be. As, as we discussed, some of the practices were quite similar between the foreign entities and the Jews. So, But here we go. Despite the Pentateuch's prohibitions of various magical activities, the Hebrew Bible gives evidence of the practice of magic among Israelites and Judahites, including healing magic, fertility magic, mediumistic divination, divinatory wordplay, and material divination. And those are in Kings, Genesis, 1 Samuel, Judges, and and all of that is true. So once again, what defines magic from "quote unquote" powers or energies of God? Well, if, if you look at even the life of Christ, um, you could say that the same thing. I mean, the 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 leper, the the, the many healings that he did, uh, the woman who touched his cloak and was cured of her ailment that she had and there's just numerous <coughs> references to descriptions where there were instant healings it wasn't like where she went it didn't say well go to the doctor and take this this herb or whatever it was it was just instant okay so those are kind of great examples or good examples of that the uh, I think in the Old Testament where the guy was the when uh, the prophet told him to uh, go bathe in the the, the Naaman, river. yeah, yeah, Nate. He said seven times. Seven times. Why seven know? times? Well, seven <laughs> generally is well, generally seven in in relation to to scriptures. Usually, when a number seven comes, it usually means mm. fulfillment. Well, that's weird because when I was playing craps, that's meant the opposite of fulfillment. Oh. It gets better. The Hebrew Bible <laughs> also frequently, frequently refers to Hebrew practices, particularly among the prophets, that are never treated as magic, although these practices fit our modern understanding of magic. For example, several times, Moses uses a staff in a way akin to a magician's wand. And drawing water from rocks would also align with our modern view of magic. In addition, the Israelite and Judahite elite perform various forms of legitimate divination, such as divination by means of the Urim and Thummim and the Ephod. The Old Testament also records several competitions between foreign magicians and Hebrews. For example, in Exodus 7, 8 and 8 through 19, Moses and Aaron perform several extraordinary feats by the power of God that Pharaoh's magicians attempt to replicate. The Egyptian, the Egyptian magicians, say that five times fast, inability to replicate the plague of gnat signals 
that Moses and Aaron are better wonder workers than the Egyptian magicians. My God. Uh, the competitions demonstrate the superiority of Hebrew prophecy, wonder working, and the Hebrew God over their foreign counterparts. In these competitions, the Hebrew Bible never calls the Hebrew heroes, quote unquote, magicians. This reflects the Hebrew Bible's tendency to distinguish faithful Hebrew wonder workers from foreign and apostate wonder workers to the label of magician. Ricks notes that the use of magician to designate foreign wonder workers in a Hebrew Bible lies behind the close juxtaposition of regulations on prophets and priestesses with regulations on magic and divination. And this tendency suggests two important principles for understanding magic in the Bible. One, the biblical understanding of magic is not the same as modern understanding of magic. And two, the designation of a, of a ritual practice as magic or ritual performer as a magician is part of a rhetorical strategy of limiting legitimate divination and wonder working among the Hebrews. Let's break that down. Please. <laughs> 7.7. So, <laughs> so, in that long quote, okay, yep. more or less what we're saying is, is that they're doing a lot of the same feats, correct? And we take our modern idea of magic and impose those ideas upon the text. Mm -hmm. When in reality, what the Bible is doing in its ancient Hebrew context is calling quote unquote magicians to those who are not under Yahweh as limited power rather mm -hmm. than the prophets who have much more power. So even though we're calling it magic, what they're doing is defining the elevated amount of power within the entities given the uh, deities they are aligned with. So going back to what Steve said, then that's exactly what the, I mean, because they directly accused Christ of performing magic. Right. By whose name does he perform these miracles? Is that mm -hmm. through Beelzebub? So, mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. interesting. Sorry. Uh, and then no, going what? back, so, Steve, you were giving me those two examples about the uh, the bathe seven times, and then you said there was also a woman that touched his cloak and was healed of mm -hmm. being a leper or something yes, like that? A, What's uh, that story? The, 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 the story goes to, it was a lady, she had a, uh, uh, basically, um, bleeding a bleeding problem. Yeah. 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 And so, it, it, and the doctors couldn't cure nothing, you know, so she had gone to medical attention. And so she had suffered from this for years. But she uh, went to find Jesus and she couldn't get to him. But she says, she said to herself, if I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And she touched his cloak and she was healed. And he felt the power come out of him. And he said, who touched me? I mean, that's what the, the way the story is written. And he said, who touched me? And she, and she became scared and, 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 and he... And he Told her that she was healed. I mean, yeah. go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. See, and from our What's mindset, that reeks of magic. Of magic. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, how? Where's the? Like, I understand that. You know, we're. It's maybe sometimes I'm assuming what you're telling me, Juice, is that we maybe we're misinterpreting some of these because of our Western exactly. idea of magic. Yes. But to exactly. me, I don't know how my. I can't misinterpret that. I mean, that's straight magic. Yes. Well, see, right? and, and that, that's because of our understanding of what magic is. Mm. Now, if you take it to the to the ancient, the A&E, if you take it back in there, right, 
um, you're looking at the power that it emanates from. And the power that it emanates from is what dictates the elevated amount of uh, power that's coming to you. So we call it magic, right? But in their mind, there is no separation of the miraculous from the medicine to the religion. So we are the ones that separate that. Mm. But in their minds, there is no separation. So when you have Moses throwing down his staff and you've got the magicians throwing down their staff, to them, it's the same thing. We're the ones saying, oh, that one's magic and that one's the uh, power of God. That's it. That's it. We'll call it power. But to them, it's the same thing. We're the ones that make that definition. So the two words are interchangeable, magic and miracle. Yeah, They don't even call it magic, did they? Right. I mean, today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the Webster's Dictionary says magic is illusions for the entertainment value. So um, that's my concept of magic. And I always thought if you were producing it trying to outsmart somebody or, or pull the wool over somebody's eyes, that's magic. So, Whereas miracles or divination is different as from the spiritual realm. Okay. We see, but from hmm. their idea, it's the their elevated amount of power. So, like, for example, maybe Moses was David Copperfield, okay? okay. okay. And, and, their magi- and their magician was Chris Angel, okay? So... <laughs> Saw him live in Vegas. It was glorious. That's a bad analogy. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. But I think one of the things that we have to that distinguishes the two and the biggest difference is that we're dealing with different cultures. Our modern day culture versus the the culture back then, and also language. It plays a lot into this too because we speak English and much more modern, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of words that if we went back in their day and we said today they be they look at us like huh, what are you saying you know? It comes down to your fealty. Mm-hmm. Who are you faithful to? Correct. That's all it comes down to. So it's not about the def- definition of what is happening at that time. It's the definition of who are you faithful to. They called them magicians because they had a muted amount of power, whereas Moses was able to take over everything they were doing because he was with the creator. You know, the the creator, not the lesser gods, but the actual creator. So he was able to take over what they were doing. So and, their and power wasn't muted. One of the other things, too, as they, as they demonstrated this power, which they really, really had no control of, per se, themselves but the power came from God right and uh, all they did was just as they say you they had the loyalty to say well they're probably basically as this stuff was going down they probably had no clue what they were probably scared out of their wits like okay I'm here I am before Pharaoh saying all these things and it's like okay and all of a sudden boom <laughs> it, it, it just happens and and it, it, it it's there's, there's strange phenomenons that you can't explain. And I know that I've had many of them in my own life where there's things that happen and it's like you just can't explain it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, 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 as you say, it's like magic, but it's not, it isn't magic, but you know where it comes from. Well, what, sep- my but what, what separates the divine energies from magic? Is there a separation? That's the question that we're, hmm. that we're kind of diving into tonight. Is there a difference between quote-unquote magic, okay, which is kind of a Western construct, or 
is the energies of the creator just simply greater than the energies of lesser gods? That's kind of what it comes down to. Where are you, where are you pulling the power right. from? Is there a relationship between, you know, these ancient magicians or magic with knowledge? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, like curses and everything else. Oh, there was, like, there was well, advanced sorcery across Egypt, yeah. <laughs> let's say, you know, instead of Moses, I'll use David Copperfield since we brought him up, since I brought him up. And he taps on a rock and he provides water for all of us who are really thirsty. Yeah. And in my feeble mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're a great magician. You did this great thing for us. And he's thinking, yeah, I just know some things you don't know yet. You'll learn it. You know, is this magic? So or, like time traveler with a lighter or yeah, something. Yeah, or is it just like knowledge he has that we don't have yet? Well, I guess you could say that because, I mean, it is according to the text, right? It is Yahweh that tells him where to go and what to do. And even then, he doesn't listen properly, right? So, but um, I guess so. I guess you could say it is advanced knowledge mm -hmm. because he told Moses and Aaron and he didn't tell the people. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And what did Jesus tell us in the New Testament? That we would do greater things, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, is that yeah. an indication no, to, I, like, your knowledge is going to increase? Yeah. Oh, I'm just I'm thinking out loud because of the beer. I, I, I believe that's Sorry. So. <laughs> I believe that's, that's definitely so because as you as you become more faithful and more as you as you grow in, in, in your faith, as you get deeper with the Lord, and I think the Lord you you're tapped into that power. So as he says greater things because What's available to us today has been available to us all, to everybody all along throughout history. So whether we're Moses or whoever we are, we're no, we, we mean, but it, I think it, it deals with, with our loyalty to Yahweh. And, and a lot of times when we were, a lot of times we go through life and we do a lot of stuff on our own. You know, we, you know that's when we usually get in trouble. Mm, okay. We do it ourselves. But then there's times when things, and I, and I know this for a fact because I, I, it's happened to me so many times, that things just happen and all of a sudden you can't explain them. You can't. There's just no way. You, but the only explanation I have is that it came from, dun, dun, dun. It came from God. It had mm. to have. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I didn't do anything special for it. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know if I, uh, not to be too hard on you, Steve. I, I don't know. I mean, do you firmly believe that God intervened in your life in a way and provided magic to help provide these things that you encountered or these experiences that you encountered? Yeah, absolutely. But I think the other thing, too, is what it came to a point where I was just so broken. Yeah. And I was so empty. I mean, I had nothing to give. Yeah. And and to, to realize, they came to a point where where I had no place to go but God. Because I I, I, had, I mean I lost everything in that point, and to realize that, and then things when you, when I just by surrendering and just yielding to that, things happened. Yeah. And things are happening, and they're just continually happening. But it doesn't make me it doesn't make me special. It doesn't make I don't have this like. There's no glow about me. There's, you know, I'm not a David Copperfield where I, yeah. you know, 
illusionally make things whatever that way, but it's it's more of a humbleness that comes upon me that to realize to say that that you know I, I'm really nothing in this. Yeah, uh, we're gonna move down to uh, a verse right here, which is fascinating because it comes from Ezekiel. Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I behold, I'm against your magic bands with which you hunt the souls like birds, and I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free, the souls like birds. Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand as prey, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, in that verse, it's fascinating. That also comes from the Old Testament. It's fascinating because... It indicates that they were trapping people's souls. I mean, it's written right there. It's kind of fascinating. I don't understand the context. The the context is that more or less they are taking people's souls captive. Who? Um, In this passage. It's it's a pagan people. Here, I'm going to uh, expand a little bit. Present knowledge of ancient Mesopotamian religion rest almost exclusively in archaeological evidence recovered from the ruined city mounds of Mesopotamia since the 19th century. Of great significance is the literary evidence, texts written in cuneiform, scripts on tablets made of clay, or, for monumental purposes, on stone. Central, of course, are the specifically religious texts comprised god lists, myths, hymns, laments, prayers, rituals, omens, texts, incantations, and other forms However, since religion permeated the culture, giving form and meaning to all aspects of it, any written text, any work of art, or any of the material remains are directly or indirectly related to the religion and may further scholarly knowledge of it. So it's, it's, it's fascinating that if you, once you get into these writings, um, all these practices that are mentioned, like from this passage right here in Ezekiel, to the religious practices of the Mesopotamian area, like the Akkadians. Mm. So, and that's written from their writings. Um, I have... What was the verses on Ezekiel? Oh, it comes from Ezekiel 13. 13, all the, the whole chapter? Uh, no, about the middle of it. Um, it's like 13, I think it's, don't quote me, I think it's 13, 7 through... Oh, here, here you go. Uh, thirteen twenty through twenty one. That's one of the that's that's the passage that's listed here. Um, so but I'm, these 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 practices mentioned inside this passage are referenced inside Akkadian texts. That's the that's the fascinating part is is archaeology does back up the beliefs of what are mentioned here in Ezekiel. Yeah. Right. So, well, that's interesting because it. I wonder if it has effects on our society in a way that we've sort of pushed that stuff as fake, hocus pocus. But if it is a reality, right? Yeah, right? that's how it was. That's what I was trying to. I, I'm sure I didn't get to that point, but David Copperfield, like, I feel like we've degraded it and almost, yeah, you know, made it entertaining. Yeah, so that we just make fun of it. Almost as if there's there could be no real part of it at all yeah. in our society. But he, but even, yeah. in, but even in the church, there are certain denominations and and characters, modern day characters who perform certain they acts. Yeah, they and don't. Say, and, it, and it turns out that they're yeah. they're yeah, they don't help our cause. 
<laughs> but they don't help our cause, and, and right. it turns out that they're phony. They're phonier than a three-dollar bill. You know, here the they Benny have like Hins. microphones yeah. and they, well, you know, and different yeah. things. You know, that, that they, yeah. you know. Well, if yeah. you if you look yeah, at the yeah. at the FSB, um, it says right here, magic charm bands on all the wrists of the hands. The word cassette is likely related to an Akkadian term for magic that used binding. Babylonian incantations involved magical knots and bonds. Veils, the rare term mispak, is used instead of the normal word for veil, suggesting this refers to a special type of veil used in magical rituals. So it's fascinating that those that it's all referenced right there in those passages to actual Akkadian and Mesopotamian uh, pagan practices. Yeah, and as Christians were taught, you know, God can do stuff or Satan or demons could possibly take over your soul, but never really a human army that would be going out and doing the devil's work, sort of stealing souls. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine for what, but it is something that we've just, t- thankfully, well, <laughs> had to think about. In DC Comics, the character Katana <laughs> is able to capture the souls in her sword. Right. And yeah. she's able to make the sword more powerful and create more abilities from that. Oh, sweet. <laughs> there you go. I believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, if it's written, then... Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's in print. If it's in a comic, it's... <laughs> I was a little disappointed that she never used Inside Suicide Squad, but... <laughs> but, I mean, even with the mm-hmm. what you said, Mike, though... Do you believe that that uh, Satan can inhabit a uh, a believer? Um, let me answer that question. He's not inhabiting anybody at any point, at any time, ever. Satan cannot <laughs> possess no. anybody. No, he can't. I believe, I believe yeah, um, because no there's different stages of belief. Yeah, uh, so I. I mean, I do think people do believe, but maybe it's just their foundation isn't strong enough to keep uh, so demons away. Weren't we under the notion, though, that if you were a believer, then you were under God's protection? So are we going back around and now saying that Satan can inhabit a believer? Can I, I, can I, can I jump in a little bit here? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. No, no. So um, that... This kind of, and it's going to sound a little funny, this kind of comes down to are a futurist or a preterist. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't know what that is. If you're a futurist, someone who believes in the millennium, someone who believes all, you know, the rapture, then, yeah, Satan is all over the place right now looking for everybody. If you're somebody who's a preterist or a millennialist, then guess what? Satan's powers are bound right now, and he can't do that. Mm. So, what are you? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely see what you're saying. And mm-hmm. I definitely see what you're saying. And I definitely see what Mike is saying. Because mm-hmm. sometimes there are some crazy extreme examples uh, of quote-unquote evil today. Yes. And I do agree with that. Dude, we have absolutely no other kind of explanation. Correct. So, like... There are just so many. Like examples. a guy picking up a bunch know. of rifles and shooting all those people in Las Vegas. No, like a. Yeah, well, that's, yes, that's, that's I mean, drugs. <laughs> uh, there's actually probably more explanations for that <laughs> than we might think. <laughs> right. um, 
No, I, I'm not thinking like that. I'm actually thinking of a guy in in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel, who cut off the head of his wife and his family and burnt his wife's head. Right. Thinking that he was uh, annihilating the Amalekites. Right. And walked around on the streets of Israel saying, uh, you know, never forget the Amalekites. Right. Never forget the Amalekites. You know, yeah. There's some the, kind of evil there. So, and that actually brings me to this next passage. So, in the Book of Enoch, which is not recognized by Western churches at all, but is recognized inside some of the more ancient branches of Christianity. Um, here's a verse. It says, "And there arose such godlessness, and they committed fornication, and they were led astray, and became corrupt in all their ways." Simjaza taught enchantments and root cuttings. Amaros, the resolving of enchantments. Barakiel taught astrology. Kokobel, the constellations. Ezekiel, different Ezekiel. The knowledge of the clouds. Arakiel, the signs of the earth. Samsiel, the signs of the sun. And Sariel, the course of the moon. And as men perished, they cried, and their god went up. Um, this verse continues. I'm going to stop right there. This verse continues to... Show, to say that the the sons of God, okay, the watchers, taught sorcery and astrology to men. Uh, what's fascinating is this corresponds to almost every ancient legend from Sumerian to even Grecian lore to the Clash of the Titans. I mean, it's fascinating that it corresponds to so many ancient texts across so many different thoughts and religions and people I mean it almost makes you wonder if you know there isn't a common an ancestry on this idea mm -hmm. I don't know I, are you saying like uh, bad things are coming from an outside power like Satan or something like that is that what we're leaning well I'm saying that's it, it's it's easy to accept that it's a lot easier to do that than look in a mirror <laughs> I agree yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's not true or not, Aaron. Right, 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 right. Why can't it stop, for goodness sake? Why can't we just see that, man, we're hurting other people or whatever? If, if it was just people and we were taking control of it, then yes. Um, That's where I think Even if you believe that the Watchers are imprisoned, yeah. according to the ancient books like Enoch, it does say that the, that the demons, which are the spirits of the Nephilim, would remain here on earth with mankind to cause contention and yeah. warfare and angst and mm -hmm. you know so and i with every society and every culture like you were saying that's where i think where we kind of get hung up on is the fact that we don't acknowledge more than just the material war right. world mm -hmm. that we we don't want to see the spiritual side to it because it's easier mm -hmm. to just to deal with this accept this and Throw somebody in prison or just inject them till they die, and therefore our society will be better. Right? And what if there is an eternal, unseen enemy that walks among us actually guiding exactly. all the events? The upside down. The upside down. Now we're, done. Now we're, now we're here to say the things, yes. <laughs> but even from a, um, a societal, behavioral point, if we look at modern day, that we say we lock up these people and, and, and look. Has society gotten much better? It's gotten actually worse. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go I that far. Okay, so okay, 
So this is, I'm going to stop you right there. If you look at ancient times, let's go back to the time of Christ, all right? Nothing can compare to the persecutions of Nero. All right, he was lighting Christians on fire as oh, lamps were, yeah, at oh, night. Yes. I, okay, I, I, I mean, I tossing them. I, I understand I the mean, hideousness you're talking. The persecutions here. that were happening on any given day in the ancient world—I mean, uh, torture and rape—and all this was common practice every day among various people. At the lions, and the, uh, and they had public orgies with children and animals. I mean, so I mean, if you look at the ancient culture during Jesus's time, it, it wasn't so nice. No, you know, progressively, mankind has got better since then. So I can't say that we're worse well, now than we were then. I mean, even a hundred years, like I mean, less than a hundred years ago, we had a Holocaust, right? So I yeah, mean, I don't think I'm concerned about that happening. There are these, just these awful things that just go on. I mean, if we, I mean, you know, people. I mean, a lot of people are in this delusion that American history is like this big, wonderful thing. It really, if you really look at it, it really wasn't that nice. You know, if you yeah. look at it from a standpoint of treatment of how humaneness, yeah. you know. But I mean, if yeah. you look at the modern day, once again, if you take the millennial preterist point of view, okay, um, mankind is getting better progressively. Well, yes. You know, so I mean... If you take that point of view, what Christ said would come is slowly coming. Mankind is getting better. The kingdom is slowly spreading. Um, people are starting to see the light. Uh, mm-hmm. Humanity is taking a step forward. Well, yeah. I mean, the church is the biggest it's ever been in history. I mean, we if we can't. I think what our what we do is we look at it from from our little world here in Cleveland, Ohio, and that's how we see the world. And we, we got to remember, we're just a speck on the map. Is really all we are. And but if you look at the world in general, um, it the church is huge. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, we may see the first star, uh, Star Trek, the first uh, uh, Enterprise in our lifetime. You know, I mean, we we are pro- right, right. We are progressing. We are getting better. We could, in our lifetime, we could see the end of war. We could see a, a, an international community and union of mankind. I would play the piano right now for you if I had one here. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not seeing it. Well, I'm seeing build a wall. That's I'm what I'm saying. Build a wall. So, so, so we have a few stragglers, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it starts thing. with a T. Last name. <laughs> yeah. but, but you are right in the, in the terms of the world is a little more, a lot more unified today than probably ever in history. Right. Let, let's look at this from. Mm. A magical point of view. All right, the powers that we fight against, right? The powers this this this, this present yeah. darkness, right? Yes. Okay, they have slowly subsided over the centuries. I mean, we're talking about from the time of Christ to constant persecution and and constant turmoil, constant war, constant. I, we are overcoming, right? So yeah. so if anything, you could say that the Christian magic, right, has has increased across kingdom to kingdom and people to people and you are seeing an increase of that energy over the foreign energy which was causing the turmoil 
and the war. Yes. You are seeing the progression of the kingdom and its quote-unquote, as C.S. Lewis would say, its deeper magic coming coming to fruition. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You think there's less? You think the frequency of war is happening less? I yes. If you look at from the ancient ancient perspective, what if you look at from the eighties to the two thousands? There's it's still not as bad as it was two thousand years, even a thousand, even a couple hundred years ago. Right, I, so I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, here here's here, I'm not sure sure the trend here's, is consistent. Here's the worry. Here here here's here's the problem. Here's the problem. Okay. The problem is is that we watch the news. And the news has to create headlines. Yeah. And the headlines have to be negative because otherwise you're not going to talk about them. <laughs> so to create ratings, we have to make everything look worse than it actually is. Mm. I agree with Juice again. I'm actually following I'll, Juice. I'll concede to that point. I'm yeah. not sure if it's any less. I think the rules of the game have changed. I think we have a lot new uh, different names for things these days. We don't call it wars. We call it interventions. We call it spreading democracy <laughs> we call it colonial we call it a lot of different things but we won't call it you know brutality or, you know the founding of america we won't call it genocide we just say oh the native americans are okay in this little corner oh, you know I, I called it that <laughs> actually i called that over the fourth of july so but <laughs> you have an excellent point in tying it back to magic with the media would we call that magic with all of our children sitting around watching TV with their minds being influenced in a huge way that never existed before? I, uh, that's, I mean, it what? totally skews our perception. When yeah. I watch a movie, I am spellbinded. Have, have any of you watched American Gods or read the book American Gods? No. Okay, so it's very interesting. I do, I, I do enjoy Neil Gaiman. He's, he's a good, he's, he's a good author. But, um, it, the gods are created through the belief systems that they create. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So, in 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 the book, the old gods is versing the new gods, right? And the new gods were created through the worship of modern things like technology, right? So, mm -hmm. if you if you look back and forth, the, so the new gods are coming against the old gods in the in this cataclysmic war of new versus old, but it's all created through the belief systems that they that they incurred. Mm. All right? So it's not unlike that. When the old gods, literally the old gods that are still around, all right, however they are denoted, whether they're, create, whether they're still here because of the uh, demonic presence, okay, the, the children of the originals, maybe, uh, and the... Nephilim, right? <laughs> but they still create that that idea here to try to sway the quote unquote magic, as C.S. Lewis would have said it, mm -hmm. uh, towards their side to win the war. Whereas the oldest god, Yahweh himself, using the uh, Lucian <laughs> deeper magic, right, to fight against that. So you could see the battle back and forth, and really, I believe that the tide is in the unseen forces beneath what we're actually looking at. Yeah. But it boils down to, if you, yeah. if you were talking about that spiritual realm that we can't see, that, as, as Tizer calls, the unseen realm. But it really boils down to is that when Christ died on the cross, and when he rose, 
game was over. By doing that, took away all the power from all the those other entities and, 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 and deities. I mean, game's over. Yeah. Because I took death, and that's the only thing you had, and it's not mine. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go... My universe predominantly resides within a combination of the, the ancient context of Christianity and uh, C.S. Lewis's universe. <laughs> um, a little Tolkien in there, too, because Tolkien's pretty doggone deep doggone it. So, <laughs> I mean, Think about it. You have, you have the Maiar, right? Oh, here, quick quiz for you. How many wizards were inside the Lord of the Rings? Jeez, yeah, the white guy, not the gray. Who is the, um, and then uh, the bad guy? Three. Three? Okay, there's three. Anybody else? Oh, the brown. Sorry. Oh, brown? Okay, okay. Oh, we go in Lord of the Rings or we go in Hobbit too? Because I think... It's, it's all encompassing. All right, four. All right. Here's the funny thing. Get this. Ready? Here's the funny thing. There's none. <laughs> ah, ah. All right. And how's getting out the gray? See, you don't believe in magic, so, George. Here's, here's <laughs> the deal. Core. There's yeah. the math for you. you <laughs> <laughs> right. So get this. Ready? They, are, they weren't human. The, they were what's called Maiar. The Maiar were the original spirits of Middle-earth. So they disguised themselves as humans, but they weren't, they weren't actually human, which means they weren't actually wizards. They were entities that came to Middle-earth to oversee what would happen with mankind. Ah, which is why, which is why if you go back to Gandalf, he would call out, and he said when he was battling the Balrog, he was calling upon the Eternal Flame. He was. Now, <laughs> but but just if we went back to that time, and the definition they used then, there was four wizards. I don't know. I see what you're saying. I'm just geeking out here. I'm just geeking out. So. <laughs> So there's there's the the Tolkien and the the, the Lucian right right C.S. Lewis uh, idea of what you know our existence actually is. In fact, during this episode, I'll I'll actually post a little link um, to a cool conversation that took place between C.S. Lewis and Tolkien because they were friends inside the Inklings, and I'll, I'll post that up because it's a really cool little video. Uh, but. It, it's interesting because the mythos of Christianity doesn't have to be 100% what we consider literal because it's, it's what we take away as the spiritual understanding of our existence. That is essentially what the biblical narrative is trying to teach, not the, not the little narrative that the West tries to impart. So, on that, we will call the night. Okay. So... Catch us on BibleOverBrews.com, Instagram, Twitter, Google+, Facebook, any place you can find social media. Have a good night. It's magic. <laughs> good night. Good night. Have a good night. Hashtag one. magic.